Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist manager and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Jordan, what's happening, man? How we doing? I'm, I'm all right, man. I'm all right. How you doing, brother? I'm good. I'm excited. At this point, I am finally uh, we're heading back to New York City. By the time this episode drops, I will already be back in the Big Apple. So I'm very excited about that. We're definitely tough, maintaining man. maintaining that necessary social distance, wearing a mask, fucking mask I have on. To travel to you and then wave to you because that's as close as I'm going to get. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll have to do the, the distance dap. The distance dap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, with that said, very excited to have our guest on today, uh, Bina Fronda. Bina is the marketing director at Ultra Records. Uh, she's responsible for overseeing the marketing strategies and partnerships for Ultra Artists, which has an incredible roster of some of the world's leading electronic and dance uh, music artists. So Steve Aoki, Kygo, Sophie Tucker, MK, Benny Benassi, The Magician. Uh, we've been able to cross paths because an artist I've done a lot of work with, Black Coffee, um, has a deal with Ultra Records and has released a lot of music on that label. So it's always been fun being able to collaborate and work with their team throughout the years. And I think Bina, incredibly smart. She's been working at Ultra for the past six years uh, and currently is leading the marketing team. So I think she really understands how to um, build and execute upon world-class rollouts and campaigns for some of the, the world's biggest dance music artists. The things I really enjoyed and appreciated most about this episode were um, her thoughts on kind of building a cohesive brand, how the marketing and digital landscape continues to evolve, and where you should really be putting your focus on for the artists you're working with. And then lastly, towards the end of the episode, we really kind of close out with how you can really go about adapting and continuing to build community in the time of COVID. So what do you think, Jordan? Um, yeah, I think it's a super insightful episode. I think we had a, a, you know, a good rapport with her. Um, I think some of the highlights, in my opinion, are a lot of people ask me, or a lot of people come to me to, and I always ask them, you know, what's your goal for your next release? Not what's your goal for your career, what's your goal for your next release? And they always tell me, I want, I want this to be in as many years as possible, which is always the goal. But in this, we actually talk about how to actually boil that down and that, that big aspiration and actually turn it into an attainable goal. Um, we also talk about what her favorite marketing plan that she was a part of and why. Um, it, you know, it's an awesome marketing plan that she facilitated for, for Sophie Tucker. And we also talk about her favorite marketing plan that she hasn't been a part of and why. So people will be able to, to, to know what it's like, not just to boil down aspirations into goals, but also what success actually looks like in terms of a rollout in the marketing plan. So definitely, yeah. definitely gems. And if, if you haven't already, uh, it's getting popping in the, the Music Business Podcast Discord. Really love having conversations. Uh getting an opportunity for you guys to submit questions before we do interviews with our guests, help each other. So if you haven't already, be sure to check out musicbusinesspodcast.com slash community. And without any further ado, let's jump into the episode. Let's Bina do it. Bina, what's up? Welcome to the show. How are you? Happening. I'm doing good. How are you? We're good. We're good. Very excited to have you on today. I think it's uh, it's been fun to, to cross paths in our experience. But I think... Um, Really excited to dive into to all things marketing, all things ultra, and you've been able to work with a, a bunch of amazing, uh, amazing artists. So I, I think for starters, if you could really just kind of like set the stage when it comes to like, what are you currently focused on at ultra? 
everything. Um, yeah, yeah. So just a little backtrack. So I do marketing over at Ultra Records, which is an independent label and uh, the biggest uh, dance independent label in the U.S. So we represent artists that are in the electronic space all across the board. So we represent Steve Aoki, Sophie Tucker, Black Coffee, Carnage, and the list goes on and on. Um, so it's really all different genres within the electronic space. And so I run the marketing team and I work with a group of marketing managers slash product managers who are what I like to say the extension of management in a way, because they're the ones who relay like visions um, coming together with plans, strategy and execution around upcoming releases for an artist whether it be a single a piece of video content uh you know a full-fledged album we work with the artist team as well as label team and outside contacts to get everything through and everything through with the same mission that the artist has that's amazing and super exciting and i think uh definitely have a kind of incredible roster of artists and continue to uphold really high standards. Um, so when it comes to how your role has evolved, I mean, you've been there for what, about six years now? Six years. Yeah. That's amazing. What, how, how has the, the role itself evolved throughout the years? And you mentioned now you're kind of like leading the marketing team. Can you speak a little bit to the, the journey and, and the steps you took to continue growing there? Yeah, yeah. I think Ultra definitely has like a knack for hustlers and people who just have really good like self-initiative. And so and it's a place where you can grow. So if you have that kind of attitude, then you then you'll grow with, you know, within the company. So I got my start as an assistant. I was a marketing coordinator. So I was always in the same department. um, But I knew very little. I had originally come from more of the live side, you know, I used to freelance at festivals, music events, I did everything from artist hospitality to artist transportation to ticketing, you name it. So I was always more hands-on in the industry, but I wanted to use that energy and apply it to artist campaigns. So I took on the role, I started out as a coordinator, Um, half of it was right timing, and then, then the other half of it was, you know, just kind of hustling and uh, offering to help where, you know, no one was asking for help. But in doing so, I was able to learn more and do more and then eventually be trusted more in order to take on larger projects and uh, bigger positions. And so that's kind of how I slowly moved up the ranks, if you will. And so like then transitioned into a marketing manager. I took on some really great, great projects as a marketing manager. Um, I was able to really excel in a lot of the releases that I worked on and be able to be in a position that when there was an availability to be the, the director of marketing, you know, I was considered just as anybody, any other person who was applied. I kind of like went through the process as well and eventually, got, you know, got the position, was asked to take on the position, which has been great. Um, so that's kind of like my personal role, uh, my, my personal journey, but the role itself continues to also constantly evolve because marketing is constantly evolving you know so i when whenever people ask like what is the marketing team i think when you go to a major label you've got the marketing department the digital department product manager department when you go to an indie 
if you go to a really small indie, it's one person handling everything. We tend to be like a, a, a middle tiered indie in the sense that we've got a big team, we've got the resources, but we're still quite small in comparison to, you know, majors. And so mm-hmm. marketing managers and product managers for us, oh, you know, it's the same thing. It's the same role. Um, and we do the execution portion of it where we ensure that we have everything that we need in order to get a release out. But then we also get to do what I like to say is like the fun stuff, which is coming up with the actual like marketing strategy, activations, and then actually fleshing them out and putting them into execution. So the role continues to evolve because, you know, times change. Uh, there's fads in the sense that when I first started in the dance world, everything was about SoundCloud. And now everything is about Spotify when it comes to the type of platform targets that you work for. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. trying how to go with the flow and, and be, be on the pulse when it comes to yeah. promotion. For sure. No, and it's so crazy too, because I, I think this is when I, you know, I personally used to work with like Gary Vee and Gary Vaynerchuk and his whole motto is like, like always trying to find the underpriced attention and that's kind of keep an eye out for these emerging platforms so you can kind of grow with the platforms and go to places where there's less competition. So in that, in that same vein, and you've already alluded to the, the evolution, but can you speak to some of the, like how your approach to marketing has evolved throughout the years? Like thinking back to like three, four, five, six years ago versus like, what uh, a, a similar approach today would be for an artist rollout an art, or an artist campaign. What what does a shift from SoundCloud to Spotify look like over the years? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So especially within a digital perspective and digital platforms, digital marketing, mm-hmm. that that change is like more evident than let's say marketing, which I'll kind of well, which I'll get into. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, for example. In the dance space, SoundCloud was always big because that's where a lot of like major dance artists and producers got, you know, got discovered. Primary example, Kygo, right? Kygo got discovered because he did some really cool remixes. He did one for Whitney Houston. He did, you know, he did one with Marvin Gaye and they blew up on SoundCloud. But then, then that translated over to the other DSPs. Same thing with Catronata. I don't know why I still remember the day I like followed him on SoundCloud and he had 300 followers. And I was just like, why? Like, how is this possible? This yeah, Catronata is so underrated. He's like the, one of the goats in my book for sure. Yeah, yeah me too. Oh, so like he, he really is. He's, he's a shit. Um, you know, so like it, it, it's through, through that platform, so many artists in the dance space just got recognition. Um, some of the type of activations that were done are ways to promote it. The biggest one being reposting, right? Like there was a reposting business with SoundCloud and pitching to big accounts, curating accounts that would support a record. You kind of see that now on YouTube and it's still big on YouTube, right? You've got the third party playlist network. There are all these different channels. They're they're not labels, right? They're they're just curating. They're making playlists, but they have a massive um, outreach, and so they're able to you know get it out to bigger audiences than maybe the artists on their own. And now that's shifted over to what everybody knows: the Spotify playlists, right? And so you've got the Spotify branded playlists, and the ones that those editors are are 
supporting or curating or whatever. And that's where every artist wants to get on every, you know, um, buzzy playlist that's on Spotify or key playlist that's on Spotify. And that is a huge part of how they're promoting their record. So there's definitely been shifts in terms of like what the actual promotion is, whether it's reposting or playlists or what have you. Um, but you know, the, the outlet itself just keeps uh, shifting around. Yeah. So sure. how does, um, you know, you talked about digital, I guess, in terms of just like marketing, I think of like building a community, essentially, like having people feel like they're a part of something larger. Um, yeah. how, how do you think that's kind of changed over time, especially in, in the dance space? Yeah, definitely. So I think a couple of things that I've seen evolve in marketing is uh, content and how it's released and how much of it is released. You know, I think there's always been the, the foundations of, of an artist's release, song, album, whatever. You know, they've got the music that comes out. They've got visual content that aligns with it. And then they have you know, mixes or remixes or kind of like reinterpretations of, of what the body of work that comes out. And I think now it, it content is even like more of a demand um, and even more, right? So it's, it's smaller snippets, but more of it. And then made available for different social platforms, right? So usually it would have been like, at least in my, in my start, woodworking and music official video to the song now it's official video to the song as well as snippets for socials and a canvas for spotify which is an eight to second loop and bts footage that's going to be used with different publications or on an artist's igtv so it's the content and the way the artist releases the content uh, or the fact that there is content aligned with the music itself, the visual content, that's the same. It's just kind of, it really like how much of it and then the different types of platforms that it caters to. Right. So there might be a TikTok uh, snippet, but that's specifically made for TikTok as opposed to something that is specifically made for IGTV. So that's definitely changed and grown within the past couple of years. Right. Yeah, for sure. Content, content, content. You and know then this, Yeah, no, oh, oh, too well. I feel like I'm living in like this never ending like vortex of content. To be Dude, sometimes but, I'm like, I don't, I don't, yeah, right. I don't like it. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. So you, you alluded to something earlier too. You mentioned that there's kind of like having the vision and mission of the artists. And I think that's really important on the content side too, because I think at the foundation, and I'm sure like whenever you're developing like rollout plans, you're really thinking around like, what makes this artist unique? What's the narrative? What's special here? And, and you want to make sure there's a level of kind of continuity through all of the content through the rollout. Can you speak a little bit to that kind of like, like, because this is really one of like the first dominoes as you really start managing and planning a, a marketing rollout, I, I presume. So can you speak to like what you think about when you're trying to really crystallize or, or get dialed in on what that narrative and what that kind yeah. of brand strategy and voice is? Yeah. So like connected but off topic there's two main things that are like philosophies that i've learned in working in in this role more or less um for the past couple of years which is like is one if the the team is not 
connected strongly and doesn't have the same vision, then it makes it really difficult for the project to succeed because that's kind of like self-sabotaging the other, right? Like mm-hmm. the artist needs to be on the same page with the manager that needs to be on the same page with the product manager that needs to be on the same page with the NR team and the digital team. And then it's a trickle effect because that's what it is, right? Like the product managers are like the uh, li- liaisons, liaisons for the label and outside uh, context, PR, press, uh, radio, whatever it may be. So if, if we're not on the same page as management and we're like, we've got our own agenda, it makes it really difficult for, for there to be trust and then for therefore to be like input. So that's like, you know, like that's what, and then, and that plays such a huge role in the actual, like coming up with the, the mission, right? Like that brand strategy. So when we're starting that out, some artists are like, I would say they're like the blessing because they, they already have that, right? Like their essence is like their, their brand identity. So it's just a matter mm-hmm. of big, uh, figuring out like, all right, well, it, let's say this is an album and you wrote this album. What were you thinking about in, when you were writing this album? What does it mean to you? What, how do you want people to perceive it? So there's like an interview process that happens between us and the team and us and the artist, depending on, you know, if it, depending on the team. Um, and then we just start to kind of like uh, pluck out like, oh, this could be used in this way. This could be used in that way. We could use this as a marketing angle, this, that, and the other. So first we just like, ask all of like the basic question, like, what does it mean? How do you want it to be perceived? You know, what, like, what is the style? Uh, what kind of creative do you want for it? Get the mood board. And then from there, we start to one set up targets and then we start going for them. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So when it comes to like setting the targets for the, the rollouts and I mean, if, Rollouts are so interesting. I know there's like a lot of different ways in which we can really dive into it. So let's start. When it comes to like one question we have, I mean, obviously like paid media and having a budget is a luxury that not all artists have, but um, there's a lot of different elements of um, uh, if you do have a paid media budget or a media budget, how you can deploy it. Uh, If you had a hundred K like marketing budget to help push out an album that's dropping in three months, what, uh, how do you think about like allocating it in today's like digital and, and just marketing landscape? I'll put it in my pocket and run away. Well, the way Sam said it, he made it sound like you were just going to get a suitcase of money. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, yo, you got to spend this on the artist. Like, uh, no. <laughs> um well why does it depends on the genre right so there are certain genres where certain paid media let's say works for them for an example if you look at the latin space um they put a heavy emphasis on youtube youtube video views and paid media behind that right so they work with different types of um like true use bands or sponsored posts or whatever that's specific to the videos because that is a, a, a big priority for them that the numbers are really big on YouTube specifically. So 
other genres might not need that as much. And so their focus might uh, be elsewhere. Uh, it also depends on the artist, right? Because some artists might not be as radio friendly. So if we know like from the get-go that this isn't necessarily going to be a, like a radio release, it might be like a, like a culture release, right? In the sense that like, we can do a lot with the content. We can do a lot with different kind of working with different publications, maybe doing sponsored posts through the publications, working with different brands. So we might not a lot, a lot uh, as big of a radio budget for those artists. I mean, speaking of like Kitanara before, right? Like it's so underrated, but you don't hear him on the radio in the U.S. So he should be right, but he. Uh, He's successful, right? Like he is a successful artist who tours extremely well and is um, like well respected by all different genres of artists. So, you know, that depends on the artist. And then it also depends on, you know, you've got you've got your artists where they really like that. Like I had mentioned before, that like branding, that mission is part of their DNA. So making content makes sense for them because it's, it's striking. People are going to pay attention to it. You know, like you've got Lady Gaga with Chromatica and that shit's wild, but it makes sense because it's Gaga and everybody's going to go and watch a Gaga video, you know? So they probably paid, who knows, like half a million for that video with her and Ariana Grande, but they knew they were going to get that money back in a way. So it was worth the investment. So sometimes we have artists that, you know, it makes more sense to spend more money on a piece of video content because we know that it's going it's going to be well received. It's going to do right. well as a video, and it's important to that project. So it kind of like depends, you know, de depends on the artist. And then when it comes to ad spend, same thing, right? Like if we've got everything aligned, like all of the DSPs are on board, they're planning on supporting the record. We know it's going to be worked to radio. We we need it like from the jump. We want to have. XYZ countries uh, supporting the record and supporting it through radio and and promo and all of that, then we'll then we'll figure out how to like dedicate spends behind it too, so that people are paying attention to that record. Right, right. So a question I get a lot, and this kind of goes up piggybacks off what you're what you're talking about, and doesn't depends on the situation, the artist, the genre for marketing budget is a lot of people always ask me, like I always ask people what their goals are for their next release. And they just say, I want to have as many people listen to this record as possible. That's always like the number one thing I get. And I always think it's like too vague because obviously that's what you always want from every record. How do you boil down something from we want this record to be the biggest record in the world to something that you can actually attain? Mm, oof, that's a good question. And I think that, that like, that's, I, I find that a lot too, where it's like, well, you're keeping like the, the, the theme, like the concept of the release too vague. And when you keep right. it too vague, then it gives me as, as someone who, when I'm, I'm, I'm figuring out ideas, right. Cause on the marketing side, we're just constantly coming up with ideas. Like, and some are horrible and some are amazing, but that's the point. We just need to keep right. ideas. If you give me nothing to work with and all you're telling me is that you want to release this and then, and then that's it. Like <laughs> right. where are these ideas going to come from? And sometimes then I'll like be hanging out with the artist and they'll tell me something. And I'm like, why did nobody tell me this? Is <laughs> like I could have right. done something with this. Right. You know? So it's, it's, and what I've noticed too, sometimes like artists don't realize that people are interested in finding mm -hmm. out about them. You know, they like don't realize that 
fans want to know that they're actually really into cuisine or love cooking or, you know, are into whatever it is that they're into. But the truth is they are. And that is like everything, everything is a tie in and and a way to connect. And I think that's part of like, like you said, like keeping it too vague and that becomes a challenge sometimes when it's too vague. And, um, you know, to, to answer your question on that, like when an artist is saying like, I want as much as possible, just kind of like working with the teams and trying to backtrack, mm-hmm. like, well, what's our immediate goal? Okay. What's our goal after that? And trying to be, you know, the marketing managers and product managers tend to be like, the the ones who are truthful because right. they, or we we work we strive towards that because we don't want to you know tell management like yeah I was gonna be number one on top forty radio right artists like just is just darning so it's really being realistic about those goals and sometimes that can be a difficult conversation but we like we're the front lines we have to have those honest conversations with artists and artist management because to my point before like if the team is tight and the team is honest with each other and the team you know the the team is on the same page then they they will like they will do well and they'll be able to like get that message across right right like an all over the place answer but (laughs) well you know it's it's a little bit open-ended too you know so like obviously like goal setting is different for each artist so when i asked you that question i wasn't necessarily expecting like well first they do this they release a song and then it was a little more like you know in that situation what's some of the higher level things that you do to boil it down to something that is actually approachable it's funny you say you know when you're talking to artists you're like you, they say something, you're like, why didn't someone tell me this? I have been in conversations with people before, my clients, where I've gone out with them, maybe to drinks or something, and they started saying something, and I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like, let me take mm-hmm. notes on this, because yes. I, like, really yes. need this in order to market your record or to push this record in the way that you want me to. You know what I mean? So um, it's just funny that you say that. And I do think, you know, we I have worked with people where it's like, you know, the next record, the next playlist I want to be on is is Rap Caviar. Or the next playlist <laughs> I want to be on is most necessary. And yeah. It's like, okay, well where where do we get where do we go from here realistically? Cause we can get you there. It might not be this album cycle, yeah. but you know, we can get you there. But what it what realistically and it's and it's it's a hard it's a hard uh line to to walk, I think, because you don't want to insult you don't want to insult anyone, right? Like Yeah. So. Definitely, um, but at the same time, you you don't want to lie to them in the sense. Exactly. Of, Listen, I can't get you on rap caviar for this release, but let's keep setting like the foundation and building on the foundation and building maybe the first song, the second song. Keep pitching, sending the editors like, "Hey, this is what happened on the right. first song. This is what happened on the second song." And by the time the third song comes out, then they're like, "Okay, it's ready to be on rap caviar." Right of what you've done to build out the first couple of songs. And, right. You know, it's being honest in those conversations when we speak with the artists and artist teams. Right. So I kind of have two questions, but they're kind of one question, just, you know, two sides of the coin. The first one is what's, what's the, uh, one of your favorite marketing campaigns that, that you've worked on and, and why is it one of your favorites? And mm-hmm. also what's one of your favorite campaigns that you haven't worked on? One where you were like, oh man, I wish I was a part of that. Or I wish I had come up with that. Or man, there's something that I learned from that. Totally. Um, sure. So one that I've worked on uh, that I was really proud of, and I, I think it was personal because 
so I come from a visual arts background and mm -hmm. so I work with Sophie Tucker. I rep Sophie Tucker as a marketing manager for them. And so when they had their debut album come out, Treehouse, they like they are a creator's dream, like a like a creative director's dream because they are down. They are down to like <laughs> like big ideas and get really like creative and wherever you like whatever you need them to do if it's wacky they'll do it you know and and they are oh, an incredible example of a very like united team their managers are fantastic they are fantastic and it's like the communication is very clear between the teams and so right they trust me that when I speak on Sophie Tucker's behalf, that I'm that I'm I'm doing what they would have done, right? Right. So when we had the debut album come out, we like it was a dream. We got to do <laughs> really cool activations, and we also had the budget to do it. And so right. some of the things that we did at that time, you know, the Spotify fan first were cute, you know, were really big. Uh, and we did one of the Spotify fan first uh, activations. And so we did it in New York. And the whole theme of the album was like stepping into this world that they had created. At that point, they had released an EP, a couple of singles. Uh, you know, their like fans uh, were just like the fans that showed up to their uh, uh, shows, like everything was very inclusive and they were all about that, like mm. allowing people to feel really comfortable in their space. And so the right. house was the space. So we transformed elsewhere in Brooklyn and we we turned it into their world and made, made it look like the inside of a tree house. And we got this really cool uh, creative production company that uh, came in that does stuff for like Tomorrowland and Burning Man. And they're just like really wacky creators. And I mean, it looked it, like, it looked like their world. It really, it right. was so amazing to see that. And, and it was awesome to be part of the creative process and bringing in this team and being like, I need a tree house in here, like make it happen. <laughs> and there was like blow up giraffes and like confetti everywhere. And they literally like built a tree house, like <laughs> a DJ booth with like, what, like planks of wood everywhere. And the Spotify team was like, okay, <laughs> you're crazy like, this is <laughs> like we've been to some really cool events but nothing is just like creative as this one right and that's what made working on that project so much fun for me is that everything we did we got to be really creative with it we also did uh that same year they performed at Coachella. And so we, you know, of course, every everybody that performs at Coachella wants a billboard on the way to Coachella. And so we were like, right. all right, we'll do the conventional billboard, but let's try something new. So we got like uh, a massive um, like bus, like, you know, like those tour buses and we covered it with the artwork and it looked like, like it was wrapped <laughs> with the like treehouse artwork. And then we made a map on socials and you can see the route of the bus where it went on the map on socials and it would go to like where the revolve house was and it would take people to the festival and we like turned wow. it into like call to action event. So we did a lot of really cool things like that and the band was involved in it, which what made what made it special. And then of course the cherry topping is and then the album got nominated for a Grammy. So I was just right. like, 
Okay, that's cool. Shit. So that was a really special one to me. Um, and then a, a, a release that I saw that I had nothing involved, you know, nothing to do with it, but was really impressed by its rollout. I mean, Harry Styles, like, yeah, <laughs> or, like got the biggest budget or whatever. But I look, I always look at it in create, like, in terms of creativity because that's how I, like, that's how I how I market like you know, 15 years of, 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 of studying art can't help it. Um, but you know, he, he, when the recent album came out, there was the video, um, adore you. And they did this whole, like a whole, like, uh, it was like a website landing page. And it was basically the, uh, the premise of the official video for Adore You was this like fictional island. And Harry Styles lives in this fictional island and he befriends a fish. And like the fish is the only, uh, like, thing living thing that likes harry because harry like has a weird smile and nobody talks to him because of his weird smile and then it just it it what they did was they made like they made the island like they made a touring landing page for the island as if it was like a real place and people just like went crazy for it and it also um trended on twitter and you know of course, it's Harry Styles' his fan base as well. They'll do anything. But I just thought it was such a, like, creative way to promote, like, one single and, you know, and one video. But right. the concept is really strong. Then you can do that, right? Like, I mean, it was just, like, such a wacky, artsy video. But he literally made up an island, like a fake right. island. <laughs> right. um, and I just thought that was, uh, you know, the many cool projects coming out like a really uh great rollout and i personally thought that album was good so it always obviously helps when the when the content you know backs up the the album and what the album sounds like because that's the most important thing we say it on this podcast all the time i think people don't hear us though the music is always going to be the most important thing <laughs> you know <laughs> like no no marketing budget can can make the music can make it quality you know 100%. so um great marketing budget harry styles album was great that's like a kind of everything coming together at the same time yeah. Um, I guess as we kind of wrap up, you know, obviously the, the big elephant in the room is the pandemic. So how have you as a as a marketer um, built that sense of community effectively, um, you know, during a, a global crisis like this one where people can't, you know, you can't have that indoor pop up that you're talking about with the with the treehouse, you know. So how yeah. are you, you know, how, how have you had to pivot? Yeah, well, it's figuring out how to turn that treehouse, that space into a virtual space and i'm Mm -hmm. going to use sophie tucker as an example because they really like they tapped into it like it happened during quarantine where they tapped into that space like they already Mm -hmm. had a treehouse band like they before quarantine happened they had released a single called purple hat and the lyric in the lyrics of the song purple hat cheetah print and without like pushing it fans just started showing up at their shows with purple hats and cheetah print like all you saw was like purple and cheetah print everywhere and it was fantastic but that just happened organically and so day one of quarantine you see a lot mm-hmm. of artists, you you saw the like the the first group of artists were like okay we're gonna be in this for a while let's start connecting online diplo did it first dylan francis did it first sophie tucker was part of that like uh, first wave and it is 120 some some days later 
and they have been doing lives every single day at one o'clock for 30 minutes. Wow. Thursdays is just them putzing around. Then Sophie started learning how to DJ too, and then it was Sophie and Tucker. Then their dance moves started matching. Then their outfits started matching. Then they have like all of these trees like all over. Then they like added like logos to it. Then it went from Instagram Live to Instagram Live and Facebook. And then Instagram Live and Facebook and Twitch. And then the Twitch chat started this like collective of their fans. And then the fans just slowly like because they were like they were um, coming up with a lot of like songs in the mixes that kept using the word freak. Um, and so then like slowly <laughs> the fans were like, well, we're the freak fam. And now like, that's it. That is their fan. Like what their fans are called. They're called the freak fam and they made freak fam merch. And they, they now what they do is when they watch the daily live stream on Twitch, they also have a zoom chat going of the freak fam. That's just became <laughs> a supportive community. So it just, it all happened organically, but Sophie Tucker, they fueled it and they participated in it. And I right. think because of that, they were able to like really connect with their fans in a way that what happens is when artists on, are on tour, it's a different type of connecting. It's me, artist, mm -hmm. stage, you fan, like watching. And now like there is no stage, there is no floor. We're all on this, on the same page. And so right. you're in quarantine. I'm in quarantine. Exactly. <laughs> so, like, yeah. You now know, like, know what the inside of my home looks like. Like, that yeah. is intimate. And so it's been really, it, it's been a journey working with artists as they discover how to be more intimate with their fans, you know? And then I think, and artists, like, working with, of course, like, everybody's going through it, right? And, like, figuring out, like, what's my role in this, right? Like, what's my role, like in doing these live, like in doing live streams and connecting with fans, like, you know, what, uh, how do I want to connect with them there? And you're seeing a lot of like artists really build out their fan bases through it. You know, like their social account numbers are like skyrocketing, but they're like, they're putting in that time and effort in a way that maybe if they were like touring and doing promo during touring and, and, and doing like key press, maybe they weren't able to connect with fans in that way. So um, it's been really interesting to see see artists kind of like go through that. Right. And one thing I noticed um, that they did is that they were consistent. They kind of did. They did it every day for for how many days? You said. Uh, I think today was one twenty five. One twenty five. So like when you go to a concert. You can obviously, you know, you could go to one concert. Like my girlfriend's mom, she went to this one Bruce Springsteen concert, and that pretty much she's she will she was gonna be a fan for life. But if she wasn't, that was the moment she became a fan for life. But on in the digital space, our attentions are so fragmented because if you go to a concert, you're at that concert. Like you can't physically be in two places at once. Uh -huh. But at the same time, you know, when I'm watching a live stream, I could be checking my phone, I could be on Facebook. So I do think the key to kind of thriving in this time is consistency. I know Sam and I, we talk all the time, like it's, this is our game to lose. If we're not consistent, then, you know, that's, you know, we've, we're not leaving first base. So I guess yeah. for, you know, for people listening, that's, that's really impressive though. That's like super impressive. Totally. And you know, and I mean like that, God bless them and the stamina they have and, and, you know, right. all that, but you also look at like, I mean, Dillis, um, um, Diplo, right. Diplo from the get go, he 
started with just live streams. Then he had the whole like uh, Corona Sabbath weekends, where it's like Thursday to Sunday, and he had all different sets. And Dylan Francis would, would be part of some of them, and another artist would be part of some of them. And fans like tapped into that. Um, even uh, Miley Cyrus, like I always look at the like uh, her show, right? Her show that like came up through. Uh, through and during quarantine where like it went from her just like interviewing people because she too was just trying to figure things out and she was doing that on her platform and then it turned into like a full-fledged talk show you know so uh and and keep like you said like keeping that consistency and even until now and I think that's really like what winds up building those loyal fan bases and when things reopen and they will that's who's gonna be showing up at, at your show right and they'll be excited to go because it'll be one of the first shows they've probably been to in, in however long so exactly and it's really interesting like you know like I see it of course it's Sophie Decker because I work so closely with them and I'm a fan you know like uh and I like I'm part of the freak fam I was on Twitch today like like, this is so empowering like you know, everybody's just so positive and like even when you join the twitch the first thing that this says is like this is a safe space there is no negativity here we welcome all so if you've got nothing good to say don't say it like that's before you can even comment on the twitch and i love that and i'm starting to see like artists like come up with those like different worlds too like they're communities and it's amazing right. that seeing like fans connect with each other i mean hey the bts army doing good out here <laughs> you know like, I, I was skeptical but after that I'm okay. <laughs> yeah yeah right right doing good for the world doing, doing good the, <laughs> the bts army who would have thought that was that's who was gonna save us the dark horse <laughs> yes bts army and law and uh, llamas that's what's gonna save us <laughs> from covid <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> well, uh, Mina, I think it's been so incredible to have you on. I mean, I think all the work you're up to at Ultra is incredible. I think uh, you've already accomplished a lot, but I think it's still uh, the, the future is very bright. So I'm very grateful to have you on and uh, we'll keep an eye out for the moves you continue to make. So thank you. Thank you, Absolutely. guys. Thank you. Pleasure. Awesome. Well, peace. Bye, guys. Man, I was really enjoyed that conversation. What do you think, Jordan? Yeah, man. I mean, I was definitely, it, it's funny, we've interviewed a good amount of marketers, but they all have different viewpoints on, on what their career is actually like, because marketing is such a human thing, you know, depending on the artists you work with, depending on the genres you work with, it's different for everybody. And I felt like we got another refreshing outlook on what the field is like and, and what a successful marketing campaign is like. Yeah, no, and I mean, I think Ultra, like, power to them. I mean, I love what you're saying as far as them being kind of like, yeah, they're an indie label, but definitely on like the bigger side of like being an indie label. But I, and I think they've been able to staff up and build an incredible team that delivers incredible results. And I think right. a lot of that is is under Bina's leadership in the marketing standpoint. So I think uh, she'll continue to do great work. I, I think the the artists on the roster they continue to be proactive there. And I think even right now too, it's. Um, uh, as artists can't tour and play live performances, like being able to really count on your label, drive revenue through streams is, is so critical right now. So I think uh, everything we discussed is super, super valuable. Um, right. Hope you all enjoyed it too. And if you haven't already, please be sure to leave a review on uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. Helps us make sure we continue to really hit on what, what you're getting the most value from, as well as help get the podcast in front of new people. 
And on that note, we love y'all. We'll be back next week. Thank you and good luck.